Welcome to Drunk on Comics Podcast 371. This is my panel with Erica Schultz at Motor City Comic Con. Uh, Erica is a very talented writer. She did a whole panel on the writing process, how she gets through her ideas. Just super interesting stuff. One of those people who you ask a question and you have an hour's worth of content afterwards. So check it out. There is some, she gets very excited. So there is some sounds of her hitting the table in excitement. Ignore those. They're just part of the feel of the podcast. So sit back, relax, enjoy Drunk on Comics Podcast 371, Erica Schultz's Motor City Panel. Anybody okay. here have a problem with language? No? All right. No? I'm just... You don't count. These people, front row people, except for him, don't count. In, in San Diego, when, you ha- when you're on a panel in San Diego and they have the little placard with your name on it, your name faces out and facing toward you is a thing that basically says, you know, a lot of panels have people that are underage, you know, please watch your language, blah, blah, whatever. And I was in a panel... Uh, for Action Lab. Now, Action Lab does a lot of kid books, but they also have an adult line. The book that I did is a horror book that came through their adult line. So everybody in the room knew that it was for the adult line except for this one guy who brings his probably about six-year, seven-year-old girl. And she's sitting in the front row thinking we're going to talk about, like, Princeless and, you know, Raven the Pirate Princess and all this other stuff. And the, they have, like, a screen... And I'm sorry, I almost like waxed you. I apologize. (laughs) And they have like a screen on the side and everything, you know, your PowerPoint presentation. And the first thing that comes up is Zombie Tramp. (laughs) And I'm just, and I look at the father and the eyes go big. And I look at the little girl and she does the, like, (laughs) she sort of cocks, she does like that puppy head to the side and kind of confused. (laughs) And I'm looking at the guy, and I'm like, take her out of the room now. <laughs> yeah, it's, this, this is as about as tame as it's going to go, because then we're going to baby doll. So, like, please get her out of the room. And he just, I think they were, it was, a mo- it was a shock moment that they literally stayed there for the whole 45 minutes. But he was, like, so rigid. And she was just kind of like, daddy? Uh, I felt so bad for her. I was like, you're scarred. I'm sorry, baby. I'm sorry. Aww. Uh, so, this was supposed to be a two-person panel today. Yes, Stephanie's ill, unfortunately. She's ill, so we're, we get full access to Erica for an hour. This is Erica Schultz, for everyone who doesn't know. Uh, current books, 12 Devils Dancing, um, did Xena, Charmed, did the Daredevil Annual last year. Uh, so, this is... She has my resume, like, <laughs> Just, I need, I need tips. Good for and you. Hints. Um... I was prepared for two people, so now I just have to focus on one. It's nice. Um, <laughs> no pressure. So the title of this panel is New Kids on the Block, but reading your history, you're not new to this. You've been doing this for a couple years now. I started in two, I started doing animation for X-Men in December 2008. So I've been involved in comics since 2008. Now my mind is just like, all right, now we have to talk about X-Men for an hour, but we won't do that. Um, we can talk about <laughs> X-Men for an hour. That's, uh, that's personal time. 
conversations. Um, so in 2016, you were part of the first DC writers workshop. Yeah, I was Scott part of the Snyder. pilot. I was yeah. part of the pilot program. Once we were we were the the guinea pigs. Uh, basically, at the can everybody hear me? Because I know there's so many people for the audio. There are so many people in this room. Oh my god! And they're all being so quiet. It's amazing. Um, so. Um, we were we were part of the pilot program, so we didn't really have like a syllabus or anything like that. So it was you know we'd go through the class, and then the next day it was like, okay, what are we going to talk about next week, kind of thing. Uh, so I don't know what the program was like after that, but I guess we were kind of like beta testing the program, kind of thing. Uh, but it was very interesting. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I learned a lot about it. I learned a lot from the other writers. I also learned a lot from Scott uh, directly. But what I found was the most interesting thing was that. Um, Everybody has their own process. I mean, people will say there's no really no right or wrong way to do a script or there's no right or wrong way to develop a story. And I found that a lot when I noticed some people outline, some people don't outline, some people write full scripts, some people do more of a loose script. And it was interesting to see every single other person how they all sort of had a hybrid of everything, but sort of their own style in writing. And it sort of reinforces, okay, well, what works for you works for you. Because a lot of people will say, well, you have to do X or you have to do Y. And you really don't, you have to hit your deadlines. That's like your only, like, to, I mean, to me. And, and right. you could have you could have a panel of, you know, 100 writers and 100 writers are going to give you 100 different answers. For me, the only thing you have to do is hit your deadlines. Um, do I outline? 99.9% .9 of the time, I write outlines. Uh, I know other writers who cannot write outlines, they, they can't do it, and they still do what they do. It's just whatever works for you personally. Um, I know a lot of people talk about there's something called a bullet journal that people have talked about. Um, I know people swear by it. It's like the greatest organizational tool ever. I tried. It didn't work for me. Does it mean that the bullet journal's wrong? No. Does it mean I'm wrong? No. It just means it didn't work for me. So whatever works for you, whatever's, whatever's going to get the best work out of you and whatever's going to make you hit your deadline, that's what you sort of stick with. Do you know the end of a story? When, so some writers say that they know the end of the story and then they write to that, and some writers say they get to the end of the story through writing it. 99.9% .9 of the time, I know the end of the story. Um, the, the way I get there is will change as you're writing because anything creative is an organic process and you will come in on Monday and say I'm going to do X, Y, and Z by Friday and then something will happen in your life on Wednesday that will say, huh, that's changing the way I think about where the story is going. You're still going to get to that end point, you know, the reveal of, you know, who shot JR, which is, I'm dating myself by making that, <laughs> by making that reference. But you know, that reveal is gonna be the same, but how you get there, and also that deals a lot with like subplots and things like that. Um, are you gonna have a subplot of a love triangle, which is a trope, but it happens. Are you gonna have a subplot of these two characters knew each other before? And so it's like the reveal and the twist, you know, kind of thing. Um, but I usually know the end of the story. Is there ever a point in a story where you get to it and you're willing to stop? Or is there a point in a story where you've gotten to hate it, but you have 
you feel like you have to finish it? Oh, if I'm if I'm getting paid for it, yeah. There's <laughs> if 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 I'm getting paid to write a story, if it's not creator-owned work and it's and you know it's with with a publisher, what they usually call licensed work, where you're working with. Uh, whether it's Dynamite or Marvel or DC, and you're working with their character in their playground, on, in their sandbox, with their toys, you have to follow their rules. Um, so, uh, like when I worked on Charmed, um, one of the, the provisions, I guess is the wrong word, but one of the, the edicts that I was given was, you can do anything you want in this universe, but you cannot use the character of Prudence, who was the Shannon Doherty character. So you can do anything you want from seasons four to seasons eight. Anything that fits in that, have at it. But that was that thing, you cannot do Shannon Doherty. We don't legally have the right to use her, so boom. Um, so, you know, there's, there's plenty of things that I've done that I'm like, uh, you get so close to it that you love it, then you hate it, then you love it again or you love it, you hate it, you hate it more, and then your mortgage check comes in, <laughs> and you, you know, your mortgage bill comes in, and you're like, oh, I gotta have to love this again because I have a deadline. You know, I mean, and, that's, and that literally is the reality of it. Yeah. I mean, it is a fun job, but it is a job, and I think you have to treat it as such. Um, so with the Writer's Workshop, would you, how did that impact your career? Would you, suggest doing something like that or entering a talent search or something like that to people who are trying to get into the comic book industry? Um, I don't know if DC is still doing the the writer's workshop, um, but I do know that it doesn't hurt. I I am a firm believer of casting a very wide net. You know, um, I started my career before comics. I started in advertising and I would you know, if you you get a product and you're given a list of mandatories, things that you're, you're uh, ad is supposed to hit. You sit down with your partner, you, you figure something out, and then you have to pitch stories to your creative director. And I would always like to come in with something that is safe, you know, something that if they're, you know, if they're knocking things off the list, I've checked all the boxes on the list, all right? Um, or, and then I would come in with something that was really just out of the box, like bizarre almost, more or less is just like, why did you even do this? Just because I wanted to sort of have like that just like brain dump of just get it out, you're having these crazy ideas, just get it out and do it. 99.76 times, they're not gonna go for that. But the other thing is that's a good loss leader, if you know what that is, because they'll be so hung up on like that craziness that when you do something that's like a little more crazy than the safe, they'll be like, okay, well that's better. And they'll go with that one. So it's a good loss leader. Um, so, so yeah, casting a really wide net, um, doing any of the talent searches, um, you know, uh, uh, talking to editors at conventions and stuff like that, that, that can't hurt. I mean, as long as you're not like a weirdo or a jerk, you know, that can't hurt. But developing your own stories, I know, the first time that I went to San Diego back in 2012, I had written a uh, Captain America script, I had written a, uh, a Talon script, which is in the Batman universe, and I had written a Transformer script. And I had this idea in my head that I was gonna go up to editors and I was gonna hand them my script, and I was gonna say, this is the, the spec script the, that I wrote for it. 
Uh, the first panel that I went to on Thursday morning at 9 o'clock in the morning at San Diego was the Breaking into Marvel panel, and the first words out of Axel Alonso's mouth, Axel Alonso used to be the editor-in-chief, was, no one will read your script. If you want, if you are a writer and you want to do a comic, you have to make a comic. Hmm. And luckily, I had already finished at that time, I had already finished the first trade paperback of M3, which was the first arc, which was issues one through six, and I had a copy of that with me. So I said, okay, I, this is my portfolio. Artists will show up with a portfolio and flip through pages. This is a, this is a writer's portfolio. If that means that you gotta save up some money, then you save up some money to do it. If that means that you do Kickstarter, then you do Kickstarter. But that is really the only way that you have to prove to them that you follow through. You know, if you do one issue on a book, and it's not a one-shot, it is, it is a, a, an extensive arc, and you do the first issue, they're like, oh, this is great, where's the rest of it? Oh, well, you know, uh, I wrote this like two years ago, and then things happened, and blah, 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 blah. That's great, but that's not gonna show them that you have completed the whole thing. They wanna see full follow-through, and that's important, because if you can't do that, then why are they going to pay money to have you do something? You know, because when you sign a contract, you sign a contract for five issues, eight issues, seven issues, whatever. And if you just turn in two issues and it's just like, oh, well, you know, I couldn't get around to it. That's not, that's not at all going to fly. And that's not a good precedence to set because every job that you get, you're then working toward the next and the next and the next. So, and so, editors, sorry, editors okay. talk to each other. It doesn't matter what company they're at, they talk to each other. So, like, if you do a terrible job at for a Marvel editor, then they know people at DC, and if DC says, oh, we're thinking of hiring so-and-so, oh, no, 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 we, we hired them for five issues, they didn't. They only got through two, and it was a total waste, oh, okay, now I know, so. Well, that's a good tip. Yeah, that is a good tip. <laughs> people just, talk in this industry. Just do your job, that's, that's the, just do your job, hit your deadlines. So if making a comic to get into comics yes. is the first kind of thing you have to do, yes. how important it is, to, is it to find, I kind of know the answer to this, but how important is it to find the perfect collaborator? And how hard is it for your first comic to find the perfect collaborator? It is insanely difficult. And I had a conversation with Greg Capullo about this a couple years ago at a show. Um, when, and, and, I, and I know I'm going to get garbage for this, but writers tend to have it more di more difficult time than artists because artists are being hired for a specific skill. Can they draw superheroes? Can they draw, can you, they do this? Can they do that? And I know artists are going to come after me for this, but it's I, sorry. This is my hap this happens to be my opinion and my experience. It's your panel. You can have it's that my opinion. panel. <laughs> And writers, we, we have to then go ahead and make a comic to be able to then say, I can make a comic versus an artist who can draw sequential pages from a pre-made script. And Greg and I had this conversation and he said, well, that's stupid because what if you, what if, you know, you're a writer and the artist that you are able to get isn't really up to the task you are then as a you know as the whole product are then going to be judged by somebody else's work and i said yeah well that's just kind of the way it is i mean that's that's the paradigm that you have to work within um and he's like well that's dumb and i was like well it's dumb and it's true it's true and that's just the way it is um 
to say that I was lucky is a vast understatement. To have Vicente Alcazar, who is a Spanish artist, work with me on my first book, it wasn't luck. It was like divine intervention. Um, he is one of the most talented people that I know, and the fact that he decided to, you know, I went up to, we were working in the same studio, and I gave him my script, and I said, you know, I was... I was, I was writing something and I was wondering if you'd take a look at it and he said, okay, thanks. And he took the script and he put it in his bag and he went back to work. And I was a little crestfallen at that, but I mean, the guy's got work to do. Um, but when he read it and he said he wanted to work on it with me, it was insane because he saw something in that script that editors don't even take the time to look at a script from a nobody. And he saw something in it, and he wanted to do it, and he did a gorgeous job. The, the book is beautiful. The book is called M3, and I have it at my table at uh, E17 if you want to come by after the panel. It's a beautiful book, and he did an amazing job. And he said, I'm going to take a chance on this person who's never written comics before. And for someone to have faith in you that way, it's, it's, literally, it's, like, it's like being blessed by God. Like that, it's like seeing the Pope. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. Um, and I'm insanely lucky for Vicente's work and, and his, his faith in me, for lack of a better term. Have you ever had to recover from a bad collaboration? Have you oh, ever, yeah. And how do, you do, how do you recover from that? Because it is mostly art. Art can fail you in the comic yeah. book industry. So how do you recover from that as a writer? Um, well, it depends. If, if you... If, it, it's a, if it's a collaboration where a lot of times when you go to work for, uh, you go to Dynamite or Marvel or DC, they have either the artist that you will be working with or one or two artists that they basically have like on their list. Like, okay, you're gonna write the script and we're gonna now reach out to artist A, artist B, artist C and see who's got the schedule, who can, who can do it. So um, you're, you're mostly paired up with somebody that you, if you're lucky, you know them before, you know them. If you're not lucky, then you're just like, okay, I really hope this works. Uh, I have been very, very lucky in all the artists that I've worked with on licensing work. I worked with Sunny Lou on Hawkgirl. I worked with Maria Laura Sanapo on uh, Charmed. I worked with um, uh, uh, Noah Salonga on uh, Cato and Masquerade. Uh, you know, I worked with artists who knew what they were doing and who were able to sort of bring, bring the story to life, which is what that part of the collaboration is about. Um, in creator-owned work, I have worked with artists where you bring somebody into, into the, um, sort of into the fold, and it just was not working. Um, either the either they were looking at the script and either I was failing them by not writing what I felt or what I felt should have been there or they were just not reading it the same way. And, and, and this, is, this always happens with novels. You know, People will read a novel and one person will, and then the movie gets made and one person will see the movie and say, oh, I thought the character looked like this. And then the person next to him said, oh, well, I read the book and I thought the character looked like that. So that happens a lot. Um, that's why I, I, I can't stress enough about preliminary work. Um, even before you start writing the script, sitting down with your collaborator and talking about character designs, talking about whether uh, a certain character is, like if, if, I, if it doesn't matter to me, 
what gender a character is, what you know, orientation, what race, whatever. I literally put, you know, this is the character. They're about this year's old. Um, artist choice, and then whatever comes back comes back because I know that. But if if there is a specific character who happens to be a young Af African American woman, like in Twelve Devils Dancing, or um, a young Hispanic man, or you know, then I will put in the in the script specifically. This is a 15 year old African American young woman. Um, she's about five foot six, and you know, take it from there, kind of thing. Um, but there there have been some times when things just haven't worked out. But that's that's where you you kind of. Finding a good collaborator, collaborator is like finding a good partner in life. You, you want to get to the same end goal, and the end goal is to make a really great story that is visually appealing and good to write. I'm sorry I bored you. Oh, no, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this is just okay. Well, enjoy. Um, so it's... So, so finding a collaborator that that sees the same vision or at least a similar vision and, and sees the goal line is important. Um, I was very lucky with Vicente because when we sat down, Vicente Alcazar, who worked on M3 with me, when we sat down, um, I said, I kind of think she should look like this. And he's like, all right. And he did some sketching out, and um, there's a, an actress named Monica Vitti from I'm Dating Myself Again. And he did some sketches of Monica Vitti, and he sort of looked and he's like, that's a good starting point. You know, that's not the character, but that's a good starting point. And from there, it was almost like um, how police sketch artists do things, where you say, okay, so we've got like Monica Vitti's cheekbones, and we've got, you know, this person's, you know, jawline and this person's eyebrows and this person's eyes and you just sort of bring together this new person. It's like, I'm not a mom so I can't say it's like giving birth because that would be insulting to moms. It's a little less painful, I think. It's, but maybe it, yeah, not. I don't know. Well, you know. <laughs> Depends on the collaboration, I guess. Depends on the collaboration. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and you just sort of put something together and it's like that. And once you see it, you're like, that's it. And it, like I said, it's like it's like being like a, a police sketch artist, you know. You know, the, the victim says, "That's the guy," or "That's the girl." It's like that's that's what you that's what it is. It's there's something very um, instinctual about it, and there's something very intuitive about it um, that that it's difficult to explain unless you're there, like giving birth, I'm sure, or so my mom tells me, <laughs> you know. So. It, as a writer, you could have gone in like a million different directions with your career. Why comics? What about the industry? I have no idea. <laughs> a little bit of craziness there, um, maybe? Well, I, I, was, I was a writer and art director at an ad agency for, for many years. I was at a big agency in New York. And uh, the building that we were in, they were moving from this one building that the company had been in for like 30 or 40 years. I mean, it was... This, it was, it was basically like we're moving from the flagship building to this new place, and it was really like the end of an era for a lot of people. And the, the new building that they were going to move to was about one-tenth of the size of the building that we were in. And they literally physically could not hold all the employees. So there were like five rounds of layoffs in like a year. 
and I just happened to be part of it. Um, so I freelanced for a bit, and um, I ended up getting a job at a studio, an art studio in New York, and they were doing um, uh, animation for the Astonishing X-Men motion comic. And so I, I worked as an animator and a Photoshop artist on that. And then after that project, they started, uh, the, um, the illustrator who was there had worked in comics, and then he was started doing comics. So then I started working on doing some, you know, helping out with the art on that and the coordinating of that. And I thought, you know, I've always loved comics. I've read a lot of comics. I've written a million stories that are sitting in tons of notebooks in the closet. Uh, why don't I look to try and find one of these stories? And I had, just before this, I had gotten into a really bad car accident. And so I had been writing while I was recuperating and so I figured, you know, that was the, and that story was the M3 story, and that was sort of top of mind because I had just started this job, like after I was given the go-ahead from the doctor, you know, yeah, you can start working again. Um, so that was sort of the first story that I went to, and uh, I looked and saw how the, the comic script was formatted, and again, it's, everybody formats it differently. There is kind of a right way, but it's your right way and somebody else's right way. Um, and I took the story that I'd written out as like a short story and I expanded upon it so it would be more than just, you know, one or two issues. And uh, that's what I had given to Vicente. So in today's world, 30 years ago, I think the goal for most writers and artists in the comic book industry was to get into Marvel or DC or to get mm -hmm. picked up by them. Mm -hmm. Nowadays we have Kickstarter, everyone can self-publish, there's web comics, there's small press. How do you stand out? in such an overpopulated field now? I have no idea. <laughs> you know, okay, so there's an old saying, cream rises. And, and I, I've, gotten in, I've gotten into arguments with people about this. Yes, the, there is a lot of people out there. And there are a lot of people doing, you know, I, I did a Kickstarter starter a couple of months ago and I did a Kickstarter for, you know, March 1st, March 30th, you know, for that whole month. And in that same one month, there were at least seven other people that I follow and follow me on Twitter that were also doing Kickstarters. So basically, everybody who followed the seven, me and the seven other people, their entire timeline was just, back my Kickstarter, you know, for this book or that book or the next thing. And I, we just kept, like, retweeting each other, you know, kind of thing. Um, it is difficult to stand out um, because I think right now a lot of people say that it is a golden age of comics, and it is. There's a lot of people creating, and the ease with which you can create and get books out there is is more. You can you can use Kickstarter. You can do like line webtoons. You can do your own web comic. All those kinds of things, and um, so getting getting your work out there is easier than it used to be, which was, you know packing in comics into a uh, into a, a, an envelope and sending it to the place and really hoping that somebody's going to open the envelope and it's not just literally just going to sit in a pile that gets higher and higher and higher every day. Um, just think of the end of Watchmen with all the, you know, the mail that's in there and Rorschach's book is in there. I'm sorry if I spoiled it for somebody. <laughs> um, but it's, it is tough because, uh, and especially when you come to comic conventions, uh, the amount of people that come up to my table and say, oh, you drew this. And I said, no, I didn't draw it, I'm a writer. If you look behind me, there's a banner, which is a picture of me 
typing at a typewriter, sitting on a stack of, of, of papers and typing on a typewriter. And it says in this big font saying writer underneath. And they're like, oh, but this is Artist Alley and only artists make comics. No. It's, yeah, there are some artists that make their own comics and it's great, but then there are some artists that don't make their own comics and they collaborate and we are the people that they collaborate with, you know, kind of thing. Um, being a woman in comics can be thought of as a novelty and some people are like, oh, you should capitalize on that. I don't, I don't want to capitalize on anything. I just want to write good stories and I want people to read these stories and I want people to say, this was a really good story. I really liked it. And is it too much to ask that they actually pay for it? Probably, but you know, <laughs> let's be honest. I don't pay my mortgage in hugs. I would love to, it'd be great. I'd go up to everybody in Chase Bank and be like, thank you so much for letting me have my house. You know, it would be awesome. But you know, so you come to shows to network with other artists, to meet people who are excuse me, possible collaborators, um, and also to meet fans and to say, oh, you've never read this book before. Please take a look at it, give it a read. If you like it, I have, you know, if you like the way, my style of writing, um, please come back and pick out another book and buy another book because it's the same style. The story is different, but it's the same style. I have, I think I'm witty. I know that's probably other people think I'm a, jerk, but I think I'm kind of witty, and I have sort of a wry sense of humor, if that's the right word to use, I guess. I'm probably using it incorrectly. But um, I'm very self-deprecating, obviously. I think so. most writers are. We all, oh my god, we all hate everything that we do, and then you go on social media, and all we do is talk about how amazing we are, when the truth is we're like, oh my god, I'm like the best writer, oh my god, I'm the worst. You know, but it's social media, so it's great. You just type what you want and then cry under your desk. So. so how important is being your own PR person oh God, nowadays? it's awful. <laughs> I hate it. I, I grew up in a family where um, I, I come from an immigrant family. We're very, very Italian on my mom's side. And you don't talk about yourself because you're bragging. And if I, if I go online and, you know, hey, I wrote this book. Oh, God. It doesn't revolve around, the world doesn't revolve around you, Erica. You know that, right? So I feel very uncomfortable doing that. Um, I feel very uncomfortable saying, like when we had the Kickstarter, I felt, I was like, oh my God, I'm like panhandling digitally. Um, I felt very, I feel very uncomfortable like, hey, come to my table, buy my books, check it out. Uh, but you have to, you absolutely have to do that. Um, uh, if you do have, uh, if you are doing a book for a major publisher, they usually have someone in a department that it is their job to send, you know, send out tweets and send out um, uh, press releases and things like that to say, to, to different um, podcasters and also different um, review sites. Hey, this book is coming out. If you want a review copy, let us know. We'll, you know, email you a PDF kind of thing. But even that, um, you still have to be out there, you know, saying, hey, I did this thing. Um, and that's very uncomfortable for me. I hate that. I really, really do. But you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So how, since M3, since your very first book, how have you changed? How has this industry changed you? How have you changed yeah. as a writer? <laughs> well, now that I'm writing professionally, I'm way more self-conscious about it. Because when you're just writing like your own short stories in a notebook that you're gonna stick in a closet, like 
you don't really, you don't care because nobody's really going to read it. And you're just like, oh, whatever, I'll just do this and like write really bad dialogue and blah, 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 whatever. But now it's like, wow, you have to, like, people are going to pay money for this? It better be good. If somebody's going to pay money for this, you don't want somebody coming back the next day and being like, this sucked. I want a refund. Um, so it, it's, it's made me more discerning of what I would put in things. Sometimes I, 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 you know, I'll oh, this would be a really great idea. And then I take that, I almost take like the creative director standpoint and say, yeah, that would be a really great idea if it was your first book, but you gotta think a little bit differently. Like the Kickstarter that we did, I did with a, an artist named Claire Connolly, who's a fabulous artist and a terrific collaborator and a great friend. And we did a story and basically all the wacky stories that I feel like I have to get out of my head, I do with Claire because she's up for anything. She's like, yeah, we'll do anything. So we did a story about Winston Churchill finding a time machine and recruiting dinosaurs for the war effort. Oh, that sounds awesome. We did a story about uh, a cow and goat from rival dairy farms falling in love, which is Romeo and Juliet, basically. And then we did a story about, it's basically Star Trek with lobsters. Oh, I think you just sold a bunch of books. <laughs> um, so that's what we did the Kickstarter. So we, we took these three stories, we threw them together in a book for, you know, 90 plus pages, and we said, and it's called Strange Tales, T-A-I-L-S, because everybody has a tail, lobster tail, dinosaur tails, uh, you know, goat tails. And, um, and we said, we're going to do this crazy book, and we're going to do a Kickstarter, and we're, just, we're not asking for a million dollars. We're literally just asking to print 500 copies of this book. And enough people were like, wow, lobsters in space? I never thought of that. But yeah, sure, here's five bucks, you know, kind of thing. And, and we were very lucky that we, that we did get funded, so... I look forward to reading that. Um, we have about a half an hour left. I want to open it up to questions if anybody has one. Anybody? Here, have a mic. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned like handing a script to the artist. Mm -hmm. And do you worry about like you hand him something, he says, hey, it's really not for me, and then year from now you see something that's almost blatantly your work a lot of people get worried about that about stealing ideas and I try I'm, I'm a naturally paranoid person I'm the youngest of three and you know if you're the youngest you're your brother and sister that always beat the garbage out of you so I'm naturally a paranoid person I try not to feed into that paranoia at all um, but I do know a lot of people are like that everybody sort of keeps things close to the vest um, my husband went to school with a friend of his, went to art school with a friend of his who happened to be now be a lawyer. So um, I do have, I, I don't ever want to do this. Like I don't ever want to make that phone call and be like, Mike, I need you to write a letter to somebody, a cease and desist letter to somebody. Because that's just ugly for anybody to receive and ugly to do. And I don't just, I don't like doing that. Uh, but what you usually do is um, the WGA, the Writers Guild of America, uh, you can um, copyright your stuff. Now, you cannot copyright an idea. You can copyright an execution. So if the idea is, let's take something popular that everybody knows about, Rocky. Okay, so the idea is young guy washed up, you know, becomes a boxing champion because crazy old dude makes him chase chickens. Okay, so if you just took the idea of young guy becomes a boxing champion, that can be... Rocky, that could be Creed, that could be um, Robo Jocks, 
You know, that could be a million and one different stories. But what made it rocky was Apollo, was the relationship with Paulie, was the relationship with Adrian, the relationship with Mick. That's what made it rocky was these very specific things that they put through. So if you just said uh, space lobsters, that's, that's a, that is an idea. The idea that anybody could do space lobsters, but we have a specific execution of space lobsters and the, uh, the yes, their nemesis is sentient sticks of butter, because lobsters butter, hello. Um, coming and then they're and then coming to Earth and then leading a revolt of all the lobsters on Earth against humans for eating them. So that's an execution. So, but anybody could do space lobsters and do anything they want with space lobsters. So, so what you can do is, if you really are that worried about it, you should write it out with the specifics for the execution, not just write space lobsters on a piece of paper and copyright that. That doesn't work. Um, write it out with the execution, and you can go to the um, the Writers Guild of America. You can, I think it's maybe thirty five dollars. It, it might have gone up. It might be fifty bucks. But you can copyright your uh, your script because once it's in a script form, it, you are showing a specific execution. You're showing characters. You're showing you know interactions with people. You're showing relationships. And like I said, like with Rocky, that's what makes Rocky Rocky, not just a kid from Philly becomes a, a champion boxer. So that made sense. Say again, hon? Um, you're going to get knocked down 9,000 times. Make sure that you get up 9,001. Honestly, I would love to turn around and say, oh, this is, this is advice specifically for women. The advice specifically for women is you're going to hear a lot of garbage, and it's going to be garbage because you're a woman. It's going to be garbage because you're a woman of color. It's going to be garbage because you're a trans woman. It's going to be garbage because you've never written a comic before. Don't listen to it. You write the story. You got a story to tell? Tell your story. Don't let anybody say you cannot tell your story. What's your name? Darlene. Darlene, you can't tell that story. No, Darlene, you can tell any story you want. You tell your story. If you want to tell your story in a webcomic, you tell your story in a webcomic. If you want to make a comic book, you tell your story in a comic book. If you want to do a webcomic that you then print in a comic book, that's what, you do whatever you want and you tell your story. And there's going to be people that are going to tell you that you can't do it, and you just say, okay, you might think I can't do it, but I think I can, and I've got a husband, a brother, a sister, a mother, a, a, a daughter, a, a son, a friend, an aunt, somebody who says, guess what, Darlene, you can do this. And that's, that's all you need. And, that's, and you have to, it's going to be weird, and people are going to say, like, why are you getting all like this, Erica? But you have to believe in you, and you have to let other people believe in you. I am insanely lucky that my husband is as he's a huge comic book fan and he's incredibly supportive. And every time I go on social media, which I should never go on ever again, because it's, it's a cesspool. Every time you go on social media, you'll see, I see people posting like, I'm writing this book, I'm writing that book, and I'm doing this. And, and I'm like, well, why, 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 why I'm, I'm not writing that book? 
And then my husband says, no, you're not writing that book, but guess what? You're writing this book, and this is the book that you're writing, and this is the story that Eric is telling, and that's the story you're focusing on. Because it's really easy to look at what everybody else is doing and be like, oh, shucks, I thought I was supposed to do that, and I really wanted to write that. Here's, here's a good case in point. I got to write Daredevil last summer. I think that's a pretty big deal. You know what my stupid brain said? Instead of, oh man, you guys write Daredevil, that's freaking cool. Why wasn't it Captain America, Erica? Yeah, yeah, and guess what? Yeah, it wasn't Captain America. But it was Daredevil. All right, so I get it. Trust me, I get it. Because he was just like, yeah, I get it. You're a type of person, it will never be enough. You hit the top of that mountain, where's the next mountain? It will never, you just have to keep going. Somebody said to me like earlier, oh, what keeps you up? Is it caffeine? Like what keeps you going? I said, piss and vinegar. Do you remember that old saying? Like what do you run on, piss and vinegar? Yeah. I, I run on the fact that if I don't tell these stories, if I don't get them on paper, if I don't get them out, my head will probably explode. So you just have to do, you have to do it at your own pace. That's another thing. You do it at your pace, at your pace, whatever. Don't go crazy and say, oh, I got to get this done. Unless you're getting paid for a deadline, you do it at your own pace. And you just tell the story that you want to tell. And, and, and that's, the best, that's the best advice I can do. Just, just keep at it. Because if you keep banging your head against the wall, every once in a while, a brick will fall loose. But you just, you just got to do it. And surround yourself with people that say, I love you for you. I love you whether you finish this or you don't finish it. The fact that you're trying is important and I love you for that. And that's what you do. So I love you. Okay, next question. Other questions? We're, get, we're getting deep. Guy in front? Guy, yeah. yeah, dude in front. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I'm wondering, you talked a little bit about how uh, every writer has their own amalgam of techniques, mm -hmm. right? Like their own, their own hybrid. Uh, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about yours. You said you outline. You have like a hero's journey that you use, like when you're sitting down, like you want to hit these points and everything. Well, I mean, every there's there's a lot of different you know it's get, getting very technical. There's like yeah. the hero's journey. There is you know the was that jo Joseph Conrad whatever Campbell. And I was an English major. I should know this. Um, so, you know, there's that. There's the three-act structure that I, a lot of people talk about. Like in movies, uh, movies are broken down into three specific acts. Um, I, I honestly, it's really bad for me to say this, but I try not to get too technical because, because I can, if I get too technical, then I'm like, oh, I'm not doing it exactly the way I'm supposed to be doing it. So what I do is I, I do a very broad um, I do a very broad outline where I'll say okay this story is going to be five issues so twenty pages twenty to twenty two pages this issue you're looking at about hundred to one hundred and ten pages okay so on one sheet of paper I'll say this is the story beginning to end very very general you know touch on relationships touch on characters names but it's it's pretty broad pretty general. And then I sort of, I print that out and I look at it and I say, okay, this paragraph here is going to be issue one, this paragraph here is going to be issue two, and I sort of break it down that way. 
Um, and then I take that, that first paragraph and I put it at the top of the page and I turn that into, and I expand on that and I get more specific. So this is, and again, it's not so super specific, but I get that to, to like a whole page. And then I do that with each one. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. So then I have five separate pages. And then I take that one page for issue one and I go through it and I said, this sequence is gonna be pages one through four or pages one to two or whatever. And this sequence is gonna be pages four through five. And, I, and, and then I break it down that way. And then I take those and then I, and I, don't worry, I recycle. And then I take those and I print them out and I say, okay, on page one, pages one and two is gonna be this sequence. Then I start breaking that down more. And usually during that, that phase, I will then say, okay, page one, panel one, this is what we see, whether we open on a splash page or you know, we see an establishing shot or anything like that. But I work, um, I work very macro to ver and then very micro. Um, and the reason why I do that is because if there's a script, a lot of times in creator-owned work, it's, it's like a, a, um, a passion project, it's a hobby. And again, unless you have a deadline, you sort of, you have to put it away for things that are deadlines. So case in point, I, I wrote a story about five years ago that I haven't touched in five years. I now have interest from a publisher. So what do I do? I go back to that, those outlines and I say, okay, and I read them over a million times and then I go into my folders on my computer and say, okay, oh, I also made notes about like, oh yeah, I talked about this specific sequence, but I had a couple of really cool dialogue lines that I just jotted down at the time in the moment. Let me, let me see if those come up and then I can then use that to sort of refresh my memory. And then a lot of things happen in five years, in five years, five days, five months, a lot of things happen. What about this do I wanna keep? Do I wanna keep it all exactly the way it is? Do I wanna take some of uh, the experience that I've had recently and find a way to sort of meld that into it? Do I wanna make one character a different gender, a different orientation, a different race, whatever, you know? find a way to do things that way. And then it's like, okay, but I have the bones. It's sort of like, I know in, um, in 3D animation, you basically, you start with the bones and then you build the muscles and you build the skin and, and then the clothes and everything. So you, you just have the, I always have to start with the bare bones. I know people who can sit down and write a full script, no outline, whatever, God bless them. I can't do that. That's not my process and that's not, and I always need that reference back to the outline. Because like I said, if I don't look at a script for you know three weeks, four weeks, I'm working on something else, I come back, I'm like, oh, where did I leave off? You know, I have the outlines to then turn around and reread a few times and be like, oh, that's, that's what I wanted to do with this. Okay, now I can get back in the flow. So, and again, some people don't need it. It's just, that's what works for me, so. Any other questions? Yeah. You again. <laughs> you talked about, like, in some instances, like, for a character, if you don't really care about any of the, like, specifics, like, I just, you know, the artist's choice, mm -hmm. in your experience, does that maybe entice more people that, because it would give them, like, a little more creative input? Well, it depends. There are different types of artists. I've worked with artists that will literally say, if you don't write it in the panel, I'm not going to draw it. 
So there are certain things like that are, um, and this is also in you know theater and and in film, the things that are props. A prop is anything that a character literally touches. That's what a prop is. Anything else is background. So like that chair right there is background, even though it's still part of it. But the chair that I'm sitting on is a prop because the character is physically interacting with it. So if if uh, there's a sequence in M3 where there's two characters that are having a conversation with them and they're in an office and um, I wrote that one of them is sort of um, fiddling and sort of like uh, fidgeting with a, uh, a, letter uh, a letter opener and the reason why I, I made it a point to say this is because in three pages he's going to kill someone with that letter opener so if you don't seed that idea, if you don't introduce that to the reader, that here's this guy who's just sort of like, you know, messing around with a letter opener, then it's going to be weird in three pages when he kills somebody with it, because then it seems like it came out of nowhere. So there are some artists that are very like, look, I'm, I'm a hired gun, you tell me what to draw and I draw it. There are other artists that really want to be part of the collaborative process, really want to bring something to it. And, and there's, it's not good or bad for either one. I mean, it's some, some artists just look at it as a paycheck and that's what they do and then that's, that's it. And that's, that's fine, you know? I don't judge them for that. We all, like I said, we all got bills. Um, but then there are other artists that really wanna be part of it. And so sometimes you kinda have to almost rein them in and say, look, you have to draw. I know it sounds weird about him like fiddling around with the, the letter opener, but trust me because in three pages, this guy's gonna get killed with it. So you kind of have to make sure that it's there in the beginning so the reader's not like, whoa, where did he get this letter opener from? You know, it's just like came out of nowhere kind of thing. So um, so talking to your artist, what I always ask the artist to do is to read the script completely through. Um, some artists, what they'll do is they won't read the script at all. They'll get the pages and they'll just say, okay, page one, all right, let me draw that. Page two, yeah, let me draw that. And the problem with that is that they're not seeing the whole picture, and it's it's almost like making a patchwork quilt. You have 20 pages of great art, but they're not like flowing one to the next to the next to the next because, again, artists usually do a page in a day or two. So what happens on this day to the next day? If they don't know what the whole big picture is, then it's not going to have that continuity. It's not going to have the feeling that it's one big story as opposed to literally 22 separate little sequences. Yeah. Any other questions, quick ones? Go for it. I don't watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, Have you killed off a main character? Uh, yeah, I've killed off main characters. Um, why would you do it? Well, because, okay, I know people talk about fridging characters. Um, you know, basically, uh, uh, a lot of times it comes down to like female characters or characters of color. Just, you know, it seems like they're just killing them just to kill them. And the idea is if that character dies, therefore the protagonist, who is usually a white male, can then go on with the rest of the quest. Um, sometimes killing a character is the right thing to do because sometimes when one character dies another character then can rise to become the the star so I have a story I'm not gonna tell you which one because I want you to buy all my books um, I have a story where a character dies and 
this is a character that you follow through, you follow two characters going through this, this sequence and one of them passes away. And the onus is then on that other character to either say, my journey is done, or I'm going to take the mantle and keep going. Like, did everybody see Endgame in here? Is there anybody who didn't see Endgame in here? Earmuffs. Honey, earmuffs. <laughs> okay. When you watch the end of it, when you watch the end of it, if you know what I'm talking about, something gets handed off to somebody else, and you know that the person who did the handing is going to die because he's old as um, <laughs> You could have said, that's this person's end of the story, but it's not. It is now someone else's journey. And they went through that journey together. They were bopping along together, and now this one dude's like, yeah, I'm going to retire. And now he could say, okay, well, that's the end of that person. No, it's not. It's now the beginning of a new person, and it brings new life to a, to a, different, to a, a new character. Does that make sense? Okay. She's good you're now. good. You're good. You're, good you're cool. Now. You're cool. You're cool. <laughs> see Endgame. It was really good, but don't drink any water when you see it because it's three hours long and you're going to have to pee in the middle of it. My husband <laughs> left twice. I was like, baby, what are you doing? He's like, I got to go. I was like, oh, we're going to have to see it again. So. All right. We probably have time for one more quick question if anybody has one. Yes. I always knew I wanted to do something creative. My mom was uh, a nurse, but she also drew a lot when, when I was a kid. Um, my dad worked for the phone company, but he, he also played guitar. And we, you know, he never really sung in a band, but he used to always play guitar and make up songs and stuff. Um, I always knew I wanted to do something creative. Uh, I, I was an athlete, I, I was a dancer for a while. Um, I, I, what, even my first job out of, out of college, I worked in an ad agency. So even though I was making commercials, it was still kind of creative of coming up with things. But I always wanted to, to do something more because I always had characters and kind of people talking in my heads. Oh, wouldn't this be kind of a cool thing? And what I used to do was I would go see a movie and I would love the movie and then I would go home and I would say, oh, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? And then started writing that story. And I didn't know that that was fan fiction. I didn't know that that's what that was. I just thought it was like, hey, I saw this cool movie and I really liked it and I like these characters. I'm going to write something else. Um, and I know a lot of people kind of, um, you know, put garbage on fan fiction, but a good thing about fan fiction in terms of writing is it's a good tool and this is why. Because one of the things that, that happens in writing is you have to do world building. You have to create this entire world that all these characters live in. But with fan fiction, what you can do is that that world is already created for you by the previous author or the previous movie. And you're just sort of playing in that world. And by doing that, you can practice your skills at character development and how characters interact with each other. Because you don't have to worry about, like you think about Star Wars or something like that, you don't have to worry about talking about, you know, where did the Empire come from and Luke Skywalker and everything. All that's established. Everybody knows that. So now you can talk about you know, Ray or, or another character on Tatooine that interacts with Luke or those two crazy dudes in the bar at Mos Eisley, you know, like the one who says, you know, I have the death sentence on 12 systems. Okay, well, what did you do? What's his story to get, have gotten the death sentence on 12 systems? 
Like tell that story. So you're already playing in that world and you can, you can focus more on characters and relationships between characters and stuff like that. So that, that, in that way, I think fan fiction is a very useful tool uh, when it comes to people who want to write. Um, and then once you really get your characters down, you really get how you have interactions between people and, and who feels like a real character, like a real person, then you can say, okay, now I'm gonna create a new world and put new people in it, but you already sort of know how to, how to create like a real person. So it's a good tool, I think at least. So. All right, so we have five minutes left. So let's sell you. Tell, sell me? Yes, let's sell me. Sell, tell everybody what you're selling. Starting bid. <laughs> I already paid off my student loans, thank God. So that, although I'll start my bid at my mortgage. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what, what books do you got downstairs for everyone? Downstairs. Uh, pretty much all the books that I have are uh, PG to PG-13 and then a few R books. So I have 12 Devils Dancing, which is a rated R book. It is a horror uh, crime thriller. Uh, it is about a serial killer stalking someone. So, and there is there is nudity, and there is uh, uh, there's body horror, and so if that's something you're not into, then don't worry about it. I have a book called uh, M3, which is a story about an assassin and the FBI agent tracking her down. Uh, that's 12 issues. Uh, I have uh, it's broken down into four trade paperbacks. Uh, I was in a story called Swords of Sorrow, which is very fantasy, pulp, you know, magic, mystery. Um, I was uh, one of the uh, nine writers who got to write for that book. Um, so if you like magic, mystery, fantasy, uh, magic portals opening and people going through it, that's, kind of, that's a good book for you. Uh, I also have Charmed, which was based on the television series about the sisters who are witches. I have a, a, a five issue story that I did for that. I don't have any Xena left, uh, but I did, I did write five issues of Xena last year. Um, and what I'm, I'm like literally like visually <laughs> seeing my table. So I have charm. Oh, Revenge. There was a TV show called Revenge that was on ABC a couple years ago. Uh, I have a graphic novel based on that. And I have the Daredevil story. Yes. What table are you at downstairs? I'm at E17. Erica 17. Easy to remember. And where can they find you online? Don't find me online. Don't find her online. Okay. Um, <laughs> if, if you want comic stuff. My Instagram is uh, Erica Schultz Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S, if you want comic stuff. If you just want to look at photos of my cat, 99.78% of my other Instagram is just photos of my cat. And you can tell me how fat he is, which I know he is. Uh, it is Eric, uh, Erica Schultz 42, and my Twitter is Erica Schultz 42. And you're teaching a class? I'm teaching a class this summer master letterer this lady is. Yeah, that's the other thing is I'm also a letterer. You can take flyers. I'm teaching a class this summer with Comics Experience um, about lettering because uh, I've been very fortunate to, I, as I said before, I, I worked at an art studio uh, as background artist. I did animation, I did lettering, I did graphic design, all kinds of stuff. So even though I love writing and I focus on writing, I also do all of that other fun stuff. So I'm, I am teaching a class this summer. Uh, it's an online class. Um, uh, Tuesday nights and if you can't make Tuesday nights they record the class and then you can go online and you can watch the recording uh, so that's gonna it's starting June 4th oh my god I have to finish my syllabus um, so about comics lettering comics production and the technical aspect of putting comic books together so I have that this summer um, and I've also edited some books so 
woman of many talents. Yeah. Uh, lettering is important, guys. So yes, yes, good liter <laughs> good lettering could sink a book. Very it important. It can. So, so I have coasters too. If anybody wants any coasters. All right. Stuff. We have swag for I you guess, guys. I got swag. I got a couple coasters here. I got flyers. Come on up and get some. Come on up. Not all at once. <laughs> I was afraid my I was afraid my bottle of lotion exploded for a second. That would have been bad, <laughs> but it didn't. It was good. Okay. Yes. Valentine's Day phrase, like, you'll always be mine. Lettering turns that from a serial killer to a sweetheart. Right. Yes. It, so depends, true. it depends on the font that you use. It depends on, um, yeah, it's double-sided, too. It goes for something sweet to something that we have criminal Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it's, and, and also, I mean, you, the lettering is part of the design of it because it's sort of, you, your eye follows where the balloons go, and if you have an artist who does like a very unconventional layout. Sometimes the lettering sort of helps move things along because yeah. you can't always say to the artist, no, I don't want your panels to look like Thank this. You. I don't know, Make sure you know to see what's, Erica downstairs. what's the first panel, what's the second panel kind of thing. Um, you can literally like take the lettering to sort of like lead the path yeah. You know, along almost like you know. Remember how at dance class you'd have the little foots on the, the little feet on the floor kind of yeah. thing. You can sort of use the lettering to to find a way to sort of draw your reader from this panel to that panel to the next panel kind of thing. So, and also letterers are the are the ones that end up at they're get, the last. They get skipped in the credits. They get skipped in the credits, <laughs> and they're the, they're the ones that get the last yeah. uh, at the the last all the pages at the end, and they're the ones that have like three days to do like four weeks worth of work in three days. So, lots of lots of late nights lettering. But, yeah. Thanks everyone. Make well, sure to see so Eric much, downstairs. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, AB guy. You can ask a question. <laughs>